Dear viewers and listeners, we are going to do today's podcast with predictive text for as long as we can stand it. So here, I'm going to use my phone, the texting app. I'm writing a text to Brandon, and I have written the word welcome, and everything else will just be generated by the phone. So welcome to the meeting with your mom. <laughs> well, I have Google open and okay. just using search results. Oh, uh, very nice. So how old is Britney Spears? Today at church. <laughs> church emoji. <laughs> and we will have a link for you next. Hmm. Do you have a cough with strep throat? This is getting old real fast. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is... I tried to ask, how are you? But I had to ask about Britney Spears Okay, instead. well, here, I'm going to put cough in and uh, see what it says. And I tried to say, do you have a food heist? But instead, it just gave me, do you have a... Yeah. So. Yeah. Cough is good. Oh. Sorry. Here's a good one. Do you have a food addiction quiz? <laughs> do I have a food addiction Google, do quiz? do you have a food addiction quiz? <laughs> are you a food addict? Take our food addiction quiz. Foodaddicts.org. You know, now that you mention it, I do feel like I have to eat every day. Yeah, yeah, I have to eat all. Like, if I skip a day, I start to notice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel yeah. like I do have withdrawal uh-huh. symptoms if I go more than 24 hours without eating. Yeah. So that yeah. could be yeah. the sign of a dangerous addiction. Have you ever wanted to stop eating and found you just couldn't? Eating a sandwich with my... Dad is so much fun. <laughs> These questions on there are actually pretty good questions about, you know, determining if you're eating emotionally versus eating, yeah. And so I made fun of that, but that, that yeah. quiz actually had food, legit food questions addiction, to it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are an emotional eater, and you know what? Over the last two years, I've become much more mm-hmm. of an emotional eater than I was mm-hmm. before. With Google, I yeah. don't know if we could do this right now. Yeah. But could we emulate like the wired autocomplete interview and come up with some questions for us? Yeah. Can you know. write like, what is Brandon Sanderson and just see what it fills is in? Brandon. Oh no, Mole beats me. <laughs> if I write, what is Brandon? It says, what is Brandon Mole's next book? Mole. What? Yes. Followed by, what is Brandon Sanderson's net worth? followed by what is Brandon Sanderson's next book? Man, I have to assume they edit the net worth ones out of the Wired autocomplete interviews, right? Yeah, I mean, that's got to be, that's got to be. What is Brandon Sanderson's next book? It's Wax and Wayne. Wax and Wayne. It's like the fourth one, The Lost Metal. Mm -hmm. The Lost Metal. I knew it was Metal something. That comes out like November? Yeah. Sweet. What is Brandon Sanderson's net worth? It's $42 million more than it was two months ago. <laughs> actually, it doesn't get to be money. I don't get to realize that. Yes. We talk all about that. But I actually, mm-hmm. for weird tax reasons, we haven't made that money yet. 
because it's now a liability until we fulfill and have paid for everything and stuff like that. And the the company won't take it as an asset until that is done. And so I don't know how much money I made. And minus all of the overhead and Mm -hmm. the whatever else going on. Anyway, thank you for suffering through this experiment with us. Yeah, that, We're that, gonna was, that was kind of miserable. Reward you with a heist. How does that sound? But not a food heist. Not I a heard. food heist. Ooh. Today we are going to take a short break from food heists mm. and we're going to talk about Pokemon card heists. <laughs> you excited for this? Oh, I am. I am. Okay. So this happened in February mm-hmm. of this year. Yep. 2022. Oh, very top of There was a thief in Minnesota who tunneled through the wall of a game store in what I have to assume was like a strip mall kind of situation, Uh got into a game store storage room, Mm -hmm. and cleared out two full storage rooms of Pokemon products valued at $250,000. Cards, rare cards, all kinds of other stuff. The owners of the game store did recoup it all through insurance mm. because you have to insure your Pokemon cards, which isn't even a joke. Like, obviously, this is worth a ton of money. My magic uh, yeah. collection is insured. I should hope so. Don't your magic steal my collection magic cards. Is insane. But my magic collection is insured. Okay. Here is the... Uh, now, that story is fun because of the tunneling. And there's that actually some cool fun. security camera mm-hmm. coming through the wall, like footage. That's Do you know neat. what that story told me, though? What? I'm not going to say what my magic collection's insured at, but it is more than you just said they stole. <laughs> so I, okay. I have just learned that I have a game store. You have a game store's worth of magic, magic cards. cards. Okay. That may mean that I have a few too many magic cards. Which... My first reaction is, oh, we shouldn't be saying this out loud. But anyone yeah. who didn't think they could make some money by breaking into your house yes. has they not saw me wearing a, about it, a right? black lotus around my neck yeah. during my last stream. Did you see me do that? I've heard about yes. it. Yes. But I did that, not that see That wasn't it. me. That was B-Money. That was B-Money. Yeah. It was totally he, different. He, the money got to his head. He was like Hollywood Hogan. He went heel for a little while, <laughs> but I'm back. You're um, back. I'm back to face. That's good. Yeah. Do you want to hear the even more delightful Pokemon yes. story? Mm-hmm. This is less of a heist and more of fraud. Okay. This took place just in March of this year. Of this year? Yeah. Mm. So there was a guy in Georgia who was able to take out, you know, all of the we're going to help you survive the pandemic small business loans yeah. that mm-hmm. were available. Yes. This guy managed to get one of those for like $84,000, Okay. He promptly spent 57000 of that on a rare foil Charizard card. $57,000? $57,000. Wow. For that Pokemon card. Man, that is more than my Black Lotus. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, is, that is a really expensive card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he had applied for the loan for entertainment services, was the category he checked. Okay. And it was a business he claimed to own, and it actually was not. It was just he wanted to buy mm. a really fancy Pokemon card. So now, had he turned around and sold that for more than he paid for it, mm-hmm. I think we could maybe argue that it was not fraud. That's true. It was a small business loan that he. Paid off and and used to make more money. Sold it and made less. That means he's a bad business person. That doesn't mean you're necessarily (laughs) a fraud. I I suppose, and we're not lawyers, 
And we're probably wrong. But maybe the only problem is that he didn't sell it. Maybe. And he just kept it for himself. Or Um, you may have to have had like certain business things in place before you get it. But this raises an interesting question that is a tangent. We never do those. No, we never do this. Have we talked about this before? The idea that parody is protected under the law. Yes, it is. Satire is protected under the law. Mm -hmm. There is a case where someone made a parody, but they did a bad job, so it wasn't actually funny. And the judge had to rule this is parody, even though the person is bad at parody. Mm -hmm. The law can't determine whether or not something is funny. It can only determine whether or not it's protected speech. Yeah. We have talked about that. Yeah. So does that mean that in this case, mm-hmm. if he intended to sell that card and he just is bad at selling cards, if his entire business yes. model was, I'm going to sit on this and let it appreciate in value. Yes. Is that still now viable as a small business loan? Let me point out, I think that a lot of these things that were happening during the pandemic were specifically to pay wages yes. to your employees. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when it came through for our business and things, our tax professionals like, this is a payday sort of thing. This is a, you can't use this on yourself. Yeah. If you get one of these, you must be paying salaries with it and things like that. And that's, you know, there were some pretty strict requirements on those loans mm-hmm. that it sounds like yeah. going and buying a Pokemon card, even if it is a business expense. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a tax professional, but it sounds. Yeah. That's probably what it was, is that yeah. it was against the specific kind of requirements or stipulations of the loan rather than we don't like the way you're running your Pokemon speculation business. Man, we're really being very topical today. We're talking about stuff that the kids really want to hear about yeah. with tax. You know, and the fact that we're finally talking and... about Pokemon, though, this yes. is the first episode my 10 year old will be interested in. Mm, I, I want to hear so him listen we're, to we're this. We're talking about the worst and least interesting aspects mm-hmm. of 10 year old Pokemon. Let's move to something way more topical okay. and relevant to the Let's YouTube algorithm and talk about classic Yay. literature. Classic literature. That's what we're really talking about today. Yeah, that Uh, sounds like a joke. It doesn't sound like a good joke, but legally, (laughs) it still is one. Yeah, yeah, you. you, (laughs) Okay, so we're 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 talking specifically about classic literature. Mm -hmm. I actually just flew home. I did Philly Fan Expo, big con, this last weekend, and, and on the flight home, I watched Crazy Stupid Love on the plane. Okay. And there's a line in there where the kid is studying Scarlet Letter in school, mm-hmm. and the mom's like, Really? They're still doing Scarlet Letter? You'd think someone would have written something better than that by now. Mm. And that's a whole different conversation if that's what we want to have. But no. what I'm kind of interested in, mm-hmm. at least at first, is what were you required to read in high school? And what did you think of it? Yeah. It's interesting for me because some of it actually worked. Yeah. And some of it didn't. And looking back, it's like, why did... The joke is, if you get assigned it for school, you like it less. And I Mm -hmm. do think there is an aspect to that, right? When it's an assignment. Maybe. I don't know. There's so many sides to this. I was assigned assigned in sixth grade to read Dragon Song by Anne McCaffrey. Okay. And loved every second of it. Yeah. I was assigned as a senior in high school to read House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, and that is a top five favorite book of all time for me. Right. 
I think a big part of that might be that those are simply more modern and written for modern sensibility, modern writing style in a way that, for example, the Scarlet Letter is not. Right. I think you have a point here. Mm -hmm. But I also think that maybe when you're assigned to read something and you don't like it, being forced to continue to read it. Being forced to finish it, to finish not just it, to start it. And then to keep talking about it builds up this hatred for it mm-hmm. that is much more powerful than if you had just tried it and bounced off of it. Yeah. Because I had the experience with you. Like I, I had a teacher, uh, it was Ms. Reader, who I've talked about on this podcast before, who assigned a lot of Ray Bradbury. And I have yeah. never met a Ray Bradbury story that I didn't enjoy. Even some of the stuff from Dandelion Wine and whatnot that's not very fantastical, I just really like his writing. And every time there was one of those assignments, I enjoyed it. I've talked about Harrison Bergeron on this podcast before, uh, which is maybe my favorite short story of all time, assigned by Ms. Reader for me to read in my Mm -hmm. English class. And turned out I really connected with that story. I've read it now a dozen times. I have a Kurt Vonnegut plushie. That I need to add to my <laughs> that would be great to here. have back there. Yeah, we like need the Kurt Vonnegut or plushie. Below the penguin. Oh, we will soon have a Kurt Vonnegut plushie. Oh, he's running off to get it yes. right now. And so that's great. Can Kurt, I decorate this with yeah, some you random? Could, you could bring some junk stuff because yeah. I've got uh, right a now. It has Aiden teddy bear and Shalon. Are they in camera? I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're in across. camera or Can not. I pick one of them uh, up. Yeah, these or were made by Jancy for me. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and so there's an Aiden and a Shalon Barbie. But yes, anyway. I actually think that there is, and we keep skirting around this and I keep Mm -hmm. steering us away from it, but maybe we need to talk about it. I do think that our educational system, our school system, prioritizes classics over modern stuff. And maybe that's why we're talking about this in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think often to the detriment of students. I agree. There are some books that I read in high school that I loved. I talked about a couple of them. Heart of Darkness, for example, everyone has mm-hmm. to read that like freshman or sophomore year. Did you get out of it? I got out of it. I actually loved I've that one. since read it, but I was never assigned. But you were never Heart assigned to read it. That's mm-hmm. me and Catcher in the Rye. I never had mm-hmm. to read that as a kid. I read it when I was in my 30s and loved it. Oh, wow. This was given to me by a librarian. An After I did a school visit. Kurt Vonnegut. An actual Kurt Vonnegut. That's a really good representation of Kurt Vonnegut. It is. Yeah. Put Kurt right over Put there. Him right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I actually loved Heart of Darkness enough that when I was in college, I did my senior kind of capstone project. I had two. One of them was Dostoevsky and the other one was Joseph Conrad. Mm. And I've read a bunch more of Conrad's stuff and I really like it. On the other hand, there is stuff like My Antonia and Ethan Frome, which Ethan I consider Frome. the two worst books ever written. That's the one that hit me that oh, I just gosh. could not get through. And there is... Something to be said for value in those books. I know mm-hmm. people who love Ethan Frome. Mm-hmm. They're wrong, but you know they can love it if they want. I cannot help but think, just like the character in that movie, someone has to have written something better by now. I think it is honestly kind of depressing. It is a, perhaps not a nihilistic view mm-hmm. of society, but a depressing and somewhat blind view of society to focus entirely on the books that were important and valuable to generations past as See, the stuff we have to still keep Here's the reading. thing. I think you're living a little bit in the past because oh, I, yes. my son 
is 14. He mm -hmm. so far hasn't had to read any of those. Oh, good. That's really, really good. So all the way up to age 14, there are definitely stories that he's had to read and things like that. But mm -hmm. I have never seen him have to read anything unless he chose to do Battle of the Books or something like that, that was not in some way contemporary. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's, first of all, that's really yes. wonderful. Mm -hmm. One thing that I noticed with my kids, the two who've already gone yeah. through high school, mm -hmm. is that often they were required to read short stories. Yes. Which I actually think is awesome, because if mm -hmm. you want to teach a particular aspect of literature or yeah. criticism or something, you can often do it much more efficiently with a short. My gut says that, now my son's not in high school yet, and mm -hmm. high school changes some of these things because of whatnot, and we'll see. But my gut says just watching what they read in middle school and in grade school around here, mm -hmm. there is a whole lot of popular fiction and then contemporary literary fiction for young adults replacing the canon. Um, that is good. And glad I, to hear it. I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of people are going to come in our comments and say, yeah, I, the, I'm younger yeah. and didn't have to do this. I bet we'll still get a bunch that yeah. were assigned that well, end. My son, who graduated mm -hmm. last year, he yeah. had to read Heart of Darkness again. Yeah. Which, you know, and I can still kind of understand that because it's super short. I mean, I love Orwell, but Lord of the Flies, like, it's a good book, but I don't know that that's the one. They pick it because it's kids, right? Yeah. But is it an actual realistic interpretation of anything? Yeah, I mean, and what are we going to learn from it? Uh, I, Lord of the Flies is one I never had to read. I did read Lord in of the Flies. high school. And I had to had, read it twice. What? Yeah, like have two different... Two junior high and high school? Yeah, or? something like that. I okay. can't remember. Two different teachers. And quick correction, you said that was Orwell? Yes. Isn't that William Golding? Yes, yeah, you're right. You are correct. You're absolutely right. I was thinking Animal Farm, and then I said Lord of the Flies. No, but just... Lord of the Flies is the one I read twice. So mm -hmm. want to be preemptive yeah. for the comments. No, sex. good catch. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for fact checking. That's actually really handy. Yeah, good job. And so, you yeah, earned your paycheck Yay. today. Mm -hmm. Yep. We but, would give you one of those wheels of cheese we stole from the Netherlands. Nice. Huh. I love cheese. But yeah, there's some of these things that are perpetually read. I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about the Scarlet Letter. Okay. Let's talk about the Scarlet Letter. Scarlet because Letter. Is there a legitimate argument for assigning students what is basically the first American novel? Not the absolute first, but yeah. essentially is the first. Is there an argument? Absolutely, there's an yeah. argument. I mean, um, I'm glad I read The Scarlet Letter because, uh, again, this was Ms. Reader's class, mm -hmm. and she did a good job of doing popular fiction, but there was one unit where she said, all right, we're going to read the earliest versions of American literature, and we're going to read excerpts from this, we're going to read excerpts from this, mm -hmm. we're going to read excerpts from this, we're going to read some journal entries, we read journal entries from people because there wasn't a lot of fiction yeah. from the era, and there was just a unit where we're like, these are the foundations of American literature, and this is what we have. Yeah. And to this day, I'm glad that I did. Now, I think th the answer to a lot of this mm -hmm. question comes down to mm -hmm. what is the purpose Yes. Of secondary education. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, for me, in my own personal opinion, I think that if you finish high school knowing how to add and loving to read, then that's pretty much all you really needed to get out of high school. I'm going to add one. Okay. I think you need to learn how to learn. That's the I, I put that above okay. the first two. The purpose of high school is to teach you if you want to learn about this topic— 
here is the process that you use to learn how to do that thing mm -hmm. and how to, you know, yeah. if you're given an assignment, you know how to do it and that sort of stuff. That's that's above the first two. Mm -hmm. But then followed very closely by know how to read and love reading. I like yeah. that you said it that way. And know how to do basic math up through the parts of algebra that we sometimes need to use. Yeah. And if that is the function, if that mm -hmm. is the end of education, yeah. then that is something that we can do with Harry Potter perhaps yes. more easily than we can do with something else. But, Devil's argument. Devil. But, okay. Oh, you're going to make it yourself. I, I you am, go I'm going to make yep. this myself. Mm -hmm. When I was in seventh grade, we read To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. And I was already at this point an absolutely voracious reader, mm -hmm. right? I loved reading. I read, I had already by seventh grade read Lord of the Rings and things like right. that to myself. Everything Anne McCaffrey had ever written, everything Robin McKinley had ever written. Right. So when I get to this class and she kept, this was Mrs. Romney. She was one of the best teachers I ever had. She was just hammering us. Think about why this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Find the theme. Find, you know, all of these archetypes, the critical analysis, all the structure under it. And I just kicked against the pricks as much as I could. Like, why are you ruining the thing I love mm -hmm. by making me think about it? And it came down to this moment. There's a scene in To Kill a Mockingbird where the neighbor across the street is trying to kill all the crabgrass in her yard. And Mrs. Romney was like, why is she trying to kill all the crabgrass in the yard? Well, because she doesn't want crabgrass in her yard. No. Why is it in the book? Harper Lee took the time to include this in the book. The least we can do is figure out why. And it took us an embarrassingly long time before someone in the class was like, well, is it maybe like a metaphor for the racism in the town that as soon as it crops up, you have to kill it before it spreads? And for what it, that's such an obvious mm -hmm. blunt instrument of an argument, right? Yep. But it was exactly what I needed as a 12-year-old idiot. It was like the roof of the building lifted off and angels came down and sang and I understood literature in a way I never had before. That's pretty valuable. Yeah. And so it wasn't ruining the thing that I loved. It was adding value to the thing that I loved. It was making it better. It was making it richer and deeper and, and more interesting. And so I absolutely understand that there is value in forcing kids to read in critically. a more advanced way, to yes. read critically, to think about what's going on under the surface. There's a really common kind of Facebook meme that are like, you know, the teacher asks why the curtains are blue and what it represents. And the answer is because the curtains are blue. And I think that often that is true, but also that's a reductive and blind way to read everything. Even pulp fiction includes metaphor, includes theme, yeah. includes deeper levels to it. And one of the complaints about this style of criticism is that it's very easy to go too far. Oh, um, absolutely. Right? Very, yeah. very easy. And once you're trained in some of this, it's very easy to find things that not only aren't there, things you want to find. There's definitely that. Yeah. But you're not making that argument. You're making, and I agree with you, there is value in learning to at least start asking these questions. So we've got a new thing, teaching you to think on a higher level about whatever it is. And in, in case of yeah. literature, criticism. I will add a new thing to what school is teaching is, and this is what 
it may not be right that our system does this, but this is one of the perspectives it takes, which is to give you a broad foundation in a lot of different areas so that when you decide to specialize in one, you have that basis as a springboard, right? Yes. Let me give you an example. In the Stormlight Archive, there is a character who wakes up each day at a different level of intelligence. And it follows a bell curve. So most of the time he's in a, what we would call an ordinary level of intelligence. I'm not going to get into what is IQ and things like that. Yeah. I'm just kind of talking about things like processing speed of the brain and some of these classic IQ hallmarks, which are not the only ways to have intelligence. In fact, his whole story is about you can be really smart in these ways, but it doesn't actually mean you're smart. But mm -hmm. that's not the point. The point is, at one point, I needed to write him in this hyper-intelligent mode. And I said... What's a way I can write the prose in a way that's going to feel hyper-intelligent and get this across? And I'm like, oh, Faulkner, right? Because I've been forced to read Faulkner. Faulkner yeah. writes these giant sentences. They feel like there's so many ideas crammed into them. It feels like there's not enough time to get all the ideas that he wants across. And so he puts them all together and makes a sentence deal with it. You know, do I love Faulkner? No, I don't sit and read Faulkner in my mm -hmm. my private life that often yeah. and things like that. When it was time to write someone who was hyper intelligent, I'm like, I actually, I like the, the theme that it feels like when I read Faulkner for that. Was it really handy to me to have been forced to read Faulkner <laughs> in my senior year of high school? Mm -hmm. Super handy to be able to be like, boom, pluck that. I went and reread a bunch of Faulkner and then wrote this scene from this character's perspective and was able to change my tone. It's not like I'm saying I am Faulkner, but I was able to change the yeah. style of writing yeah. to better imitate one of the old masters in a way to get across to this character's thinking in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of thing that my teacher did not know he was preparing me for <laughs> many years later, yeah. and yet he was. He absolutely was. And I think that's true of a lot of other things, right? Like my daughter right, right now is studying neuroscience mm -hmm. in large part because she loved her biology classes in high school. She didn't come out of high school with any serious mm -hmm. grounding in biological science, but she got the basics and enough of a taste to go, oh, I like this. I want more of it. So, right. yeah. And you can imagine that's yeah. the kid going to school and being like, you know, now that I'm an adult going to college, mm -hmm. I think I really want to be a chemist and being happy that lo and behold, they have a foundation in math to allow them to springboard into chemistry yeah. because they went to their classes in high school and got a minimum basic education in mid-level math. Yeah. So so let me ask about some other stuff mm -hmm. that, at least for our generation, yes. were the typical things we had to read in okay. high school. Did you have to read Grapes of Wrath? Yes. Did you also do Mice and Men? No. Neither we, did I. I only had to do one, and it was Grapes of Wrath. My high school I was kids, in Nebraska. In Nebraska? Dust Bowl. Mm -hmm. So Grapes of Wrath is like, yeah. I guess both of them are kind of They're both kind thing. of Dust yeah. Bowl-y. For me, it was yeah. Grapes of Wrath. For both of my high school kids so far, mm -hmm. it has been Mice and Men. I suspect, again, because it's shorter, mm. and that might make it more yeah. approachable. Also, Mice and Men feels more like a character study, whereas mm -hmm. Grapes of Wrath, to me, yeah. feels mostly like an overwrought historical metaphor. But Okay. <laughs> I have since read... I don't have a problem with Steinbeck. Again, mm -hmm. Steinbeck, I enjoyed for what it was and read it. And I'm like, this yeah. is good. Right? Yeah, I actually, to mm -hmm. be clear, I don't have a problem mm -hmm. with Steinbeck either. Mm -hmm. I don't love the way he was taught 
in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. It felt to me like it was, you know, like you say, taking the metaphors way too far and over-interpreting things. So I think you had a similar experience to me, as I recalled before. Did you take like AP Lit and things like that? Mm-hmm. Did you go? And so I kind of separate my normal, quote unquote, just basic education. And then I took the AP classes. And like the AP classes I signed up for, and it's my fault, right? (laughs) And even as a kid, I therefore had more buy-in to each of these things. I said, well, I signed up for AP Lit. We are reading Paradise Lost. I signed up for this. Mm. So I am going to read Paradise Lost and try to understand, and I actually came to really like Paradise Lost, right? Yeah. My AP Lit class did Paradise Lost, a lot of modern poets, modern, not contemporary, but modern poets, yeah. and some contemporary, and then we did Beloved, which was contemporary at that time. Yeah, I did Beloved in college. Mm-hmm. My experience in high school was actually very different than mm-hmm. that one. I was in an accelerated program Okay. where I was in high school 7th through 12th grade. Mm-hmm. So it was six years, okay. and it was very much a track that we were on. Dan, a lot of people have to go to high school for six years. <laughs> so it's okay. it's okay. Don't be ashamed of it. Yeah, being the seven-year-old, or not seven-year-old, seventh grader, mm-hmm. 12-year-old in high school was weird. But what that meant in practice was that we got some of the classes early. So we were taking 10th mm-hmm. grade English in ninth grade. We were okay. taking 11th grade junior English in 10th grade, and then we took AP Mm-hmm. In junior year, and we did IB, which is International Baccalaureate, senior year. And so there I know was some of those words. Yeah. Th- there was less of a sense of, I have made this choice, and mm-hmm. more of, oh, you're just in the smart kid track. Okay. You have to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, to be fair, I think Grapes of Wrath was the only one in the last two years that I really, really kicked against and mm. didn't enjoy. I, in hindsight, do think that it was definitely because it was the book we were assigned to read over the summer, Yep, which is the reason that I didn't enjoy Grapes of Wrath. Because like I said, I don't actually have a problem with Steinbeck. I did ultimately enjoy the book. Uh, but the fact that I was required to read it over summer break, come on, man. I also will mention I had three fantastic English teachers that mm-hmm. each one of them I thought was really good at their job. And did a very good job of getting us excited. So yeah. the years I was in Ms. Reader's class, because she actually taught ninth and 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And so I took her class twice in a row. And there were enough teachers in my school that you could like pick your teacher and things like that if you were lucky. And yeah. I did specifically pick. The only one I can really remember disliking was Ethan Frome. Mm. I did not love Death of a Salesman. Did you do Death of a Salesman? No, we did not have mm. to read Death of a Salesman. I'm actually surprised by how many books we don't overlap on. Yeah. It's interesting. Shakespeare, there was one Shakespeare each year that was kind of the core that you Mm -hmm. had to do all the way through middle school. So we did a Shakespeare every year up until my two AP classes, because I took both AP classes, because Nebraska was weird. They did not have a lot of AP or advanced things. So Mm -hmm. even though language and lit, they overlapped back then, you could take one of the tests. I just took both of the classes because it's like, hey, here's an advanced English class. It's what I can take. Yeah. And so we did Romeo and Juliet first year, seventh grade. I don't know why they often teach Romeo and Juliet first, but they do. We did Hamlet second year, I believe. 
that one was interesting in part because the teacher showed the Zeffirelli version of Hamlet, which is uh, very interesting when you're a teenage. Yep. In class. There's and like 10 seconds. Yes. Of... Of toplessness. Of toplessness. Well, the toplessness is not even 10 whole seconds. Mm -hmm. Yep. And still, it is scandalous, especially in Utah. I was not in Utah, so it was not as scandalous. Yeah. We actually, I remember doing Mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet in seventh grade because I remember it was Romney. Mm. The teachers I had were Romney in seventh and Oregon eighth. I cannot remember Mm -hmm. the name of the ninth grade teacher. But, you know, that was the year that we didn't like anything. That was mm. my Antonia, Ethan Frome, the Odyssey. Oh, wow. Um, all of these, like, the drudgery was mm-hmm. that year. And then we had Whiting, and mm. then Fowler, and then Kinney. And Kinney was funny because she was one of my favorite teachers. She taught the resource kids. She taught the, the kids with learning mm-hmm. disabilities. And then she taught us IB senior English, which is supposed to be the absolute top level. And at that point, we were all such jerks. That we, my wife said. Yeah, we needed to have the one who teaches the special ed kids be the one to teach us. Both ends of the curve require the same sort of teaching skills. Mm -hmm. And the upper end were not easier. They were many ways harder. Yeah. So, Yeah. (laughs) I enjoyed Shakespeare, but I had a good teacher who knew how to teach Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And so I had a good time with that. We did a lot of Ray Bradbury. We did not very much pop fiction other than that. I'm a little jealous that you got Ray Bradbury because after, you know, Anne McCaffrey in sixth grade, which was still elementary school, Mm -hmm. we didn't really get modern stuff. We read Equus in 10th grade, okay, which I actually really loved. Is that um, the play that play. Harry Potter was in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said earlier it was senior year. It was actually junior year that we did House of the Spirits, which was at that point very, very contemporary. Beyond that, it was all older stuff. Yeah. I didn't get a single yeah. piece of pop and no science that fiction I can remember at all. except for Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Ms. Reader just like had two different units that were Ray Bradbury in her ninth and tenth. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I thought it was fantastic as we were reading something that I legitimately enjoyed rather than something that I was studying. Yeah. And I got some stuff out of the others, but I get the feeling that there's more of that. Cause, and maybe it's just because my kids have mostly been in grade school. When I was in grade school, the teachers were reading to us contemporary fiction yeah. all the time. They were not reading to us Shakespeare. They were reading to us whatever mm-hmm. had won awards the last few years in contemporary children's literature. Yeah. Neither of my high school kids thus far have been great readers, but like I said, they did have to read Mice and Men and and Heart of Darkness and some of these older Mm -hmm. things. My Shakespeare in high school, Mm -hmm. the only two that I remember reading, and they were both Mr. Whiting, was Macbeth and King Lear, which to this day are still my two favorite ones. We did Lear my senior year. And I want to say that it's because of Mr. Whiting. He was Mm -hmm. such a good teacher that I really got into those. He was also one of the drama teachers, and so Mm. him teaching Shakespeare worked really well. When I took Shakespeare in college, I did not enjoy it at all. I can track Hoyd a little bit to The Fool from King Lear. Even though Hoyd started as a character about a year before that, The Fool and King Lear and then Twelfth Night, that... The idea of the vaguely prophetic yes. goofball yes. in the background that nobody pays attention to, but they should. Yes. I can track part of that. Absolutely. There. So 
I guess we've gone around in circles on this whole topic, <laughs> talking about, yes, we think it's valuable, but at the same time, we think that there's a better way to achieve that value. The value we want is kids loving literature and digging deep. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be yeah, these, you, the same. You don't have to do the old stuff. If part of your goal is teaching the history of storytelling, yes. then yes, I can see a lot of reasons for dredging the odyssey up but i don't think most students need that i agree i think that feels much more like a college thing to me yeah and you know i can kind of see the historical value mm -hmm. of something like scarlet letter this was yeah. the first american novel i would much rather read a really good american novel and, and i don't hate scarlet letter to be fair writing narrative changes Going back and even reading something from the late 70s, early 80s, which I was commonly reading when I was young, the way that we tell stories has changed, mm -hmm. evolved. I think there are things we do better now. It's shoulders of giants sort of stuff. Yeah. But I think that we have gotten better at making stories work for an audience. And so picking something contemporary by an author who knows how to use those tools to yeah. get people to love reading like being able to read fluently is so valuable in our society. Yeah. It's probably the single most valuable skill you can have other than being able to work with other people. <laughs> right? I agree with that. One of the things that I will hear from, not from teachers, mm -hmm. but from parents all the time is, I wish my kids would read. My kids never read. Yeah. To which the answer is, your kids read all the time. They're just not reading books. Yeah. Because so much of our communication, so much of a modern teenage, you know, Gen Z interaction is all done over text or Instagram or whatever. And so they're constantly reading. It is absolutely a skill that we need to be using all through our lives. Yeah. Are we done? Well, I just looked up our... <laughs> predictively <laughs> our outro oh okay. and google has a new outro for us how's that for a slice of fried gold we've just accidentally promoted somebody's like weird album or something have no idea <laughs> why why is that You type, how's that in American Fork, Utah? The second <laughs> result is for a slice of fried gold. That's yes. got to be a reference to something. Click on it. What do we get? Okay. There's no way that's like a common saying. Because number one is how's that working out for you? Oh. But someone from like Arkansas is going to be like, oh, yeah, we say that all the time. How's that for a slice of fried gold? It is a reference to Blood and Ice Cream Trilogy. What? Fried gold, or more accurately, a slice of fried gold, is an accolade of the highest degree. Anything labeled with this superlative is something bloody spectacular, even more than textbook. For example, Sean's plan in dealing with the zombie outbreak in London is acknowledged as a slice of fried gold, and Ed called his plan for a drinking binge the same. Oh. Hopefully well. that's not a spoiler. Man. Yeah. Spoiler warning. I have whatever that series blood is. Blood and ice cream? Blood and ice cream. What is blood and I? We are we are so old. This has got to be like some thing that the kids just love. I, I see one of the websites. It's rateyourmusic.com saying a slice of fried gold by page forty four. It's got to just be a common phrase that gets used 
The artist is Just page forty-four. Something. Blood and ice cream. Oh, oh, it's the. I guess I didn't know that that's what this was called. This is the Edgar Wright trilogy. Oh, that's what they're calling the Edgar Wright I trilogy. That was the Cornetto, that was the Cornetto yeah. If you look Which up Blood and Ice Cream Trilogy, you get World's End, get... Hot Fuzz, and Shot of the Dead. Okay. So I'm going to guess it's a common phrase in the UK. It's got to be a That is UK not a phrase. common phrase over here. It doesn't relate to the movies other than it's, okay. yeah. Okay. So um, there we, we go. We did our outro like five minutes ago, but I'm yeah. just going to ask you very quickly, mm-hmm. of those three, what's your favorite one? Shaun of the Dead, because it's the only Shaun one of I've the seen. Dead. Well, it's the best one. Okay. So you're, you're fine. Yeah. So anyway. I want to see the others. But, the others are good, mm-hmm. but Shaun of the Dead is my yeah, favorite. Yeah, the, the scene with the, with the bats and the music. And, <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway. It's all wonderful. How's that for a slide of... Slice, slice, a slide. Slide, slide of... For a slide of Christ Guild. Thank <laughs> you.